Hidden in Plain Sight, The Black Stones. Written by Peter White. Read by Duncan McGoughlin. Episode 3. Chapter 9. St. Bernard's and St. Botley's Hospital. Lindsay's driving could only be described as erratic. Granny had to sit in the front as she suffered from terrible car sickness. This journey was no exception, and her face was the same shade of green as the downstairs loo, which clashed with the pink overcoat she was wearing so badly. Even Andy Warhol would have blushed. They were about ten minutes into the journey when William overheard his granny say, Slow down, Lindsay, darling, mummy feels... Ever tried attaching a hose to a tap that was already on full bore? That was Granny's white leather gloved hand as she tried to stem the flow. The dash of the car was being sprayed in regular pulsing intervals with this morning's full English. It was all in the air vents, dripping down into the door pockets, the radio, CD crack, and even all over the gear stick. William and his mum wound down their windows as fast as they could in the back before the smell of mushrooms reached them. Lindsay slowed down to a steady 75 miles per hour, face completely void of any emotion, and just said, Well done, Mum. Well done. The rest of the journey was in complete silence, with all four windows down to their stops. They pulled into the hospital car park around 3pm and followed the blue signs for short-stay parking. Lindsay parked incredibly badly, as usual, taking up almost three spaces, and Granny got out of the car. To William's surprise, she didn't have a single mark on her from the carnage 20 minutes ago. Now they were stationary. The state of the car was really on show. Burn it! Just burn it! uttered William to his mum as they got out of the car. She smirked, but did not respond, as Lindsay was already looking at the board for parking regulations. He was spinning around like a confused compass with his hand over his brow, almost like a pirate of Penzance. Meter? Has anyone seen a meter? No meter? It's done by a parking app, Dad, William shouted across to him. I can download it now, if you like. William looked at the board for the details. Extortio Park app. The expensive way to park in a rush. He was just about to start the download when his dad said, It's ringing! It's ringing! I would prefer to speak to an actual person, William, as he held his index finger aloft. He began walking around in a three-metre circle, like someone who really needed the toilet. William's mum just rolled her eyes before starting to walk up the hill towards the A&E, and William joined her. Granny too, but you could sense her resistance to leave without her Lindsay. Bye-bye, darling. Mummy loves you, she mouthed as she walked backwards up the slope, the invisible apron strings pulling tightly, no doubt. As they reached the summit, William could still see his dad doing his strange toilet walk down at the bottom but decided to concentrate on what was important, Grampy. The automatic doors to the A&E opened with a metal screech, and they walked through into the reception area. It was quite a large room, with a V-shape of desks in the middle that resembled the bridge of a starship, only this was made of formica and scuffed, dusty perspex. Sunday was a quieter day for the hospital, as most of the chairs that surrounded the Enterprise were empty, a few chairs were taken by a high-vised workman with his arm in a sling, 
Two teenage girls giggling whilst taking selfies and a young lad who appeared to have superglued his hand to the bald spot on his dad's head. He did not look impressed and was ignoring his son's repeated requests for a hot chocolate from the overpriced vending machine. Name and issue, said the large woman robotically from behind the grotty perspex at the reception. Granny leant in towards the perspex delicately and began to say something where the large lady boomed back, Get back behind the yellow line! The force of her voice alone was enough for all of them to take two steps back. Name and issue, came the monotone robot voice again, thankfully slightly quieter. Andrew Fairchild, golfing an accident, announced Granny. Botley Ward, report to Nurse Alice, go. Her attention had now immediately shifted to the people coming through the doors in full medieval reenactment regalia. William and his family walked up the hall following the signs for the Botley Ward and into the elevator that happened to be open and waiting. Get back behind the yellow line! could be heard emanating from the reception area just as the elevator door closed tightly in front of them, muffling the clangs of metal as all the men dressed in armour jumped back. The elevator must have been called by someone on the floor above as it slowed as quickly as it got started, opening to reveal a young male doctor fixated on his clipboard. He looked up and William's mum, Carol, let out a small squeak. Granny tutted at Carol in her usual way. Carol always had a thing for doctors. William remembered getting home from school and having to watch hours and hours of Grey's Anatomy. After a few weeks, he could recite every episode of seasons 4 to 10, line for line. The elevator slowed to a stop, the doors opened, and they all stepped out on the fourth floor lobby and followed the signs for the Botley Ward off to the right. As they reached the ward, everything was quieter and warmer. They were met by a nurse at the desk who had a strong Yorkshire accent and light blue twinkly eyes. Granny moved towards her reluctantly, waiting to be shouted at again. She relaxed a bit when she realised another bomb wasn't about to go off and asked for Nurse Alice. That's me, said the lovely nurse. They were all relieved. Andrew Fairchild, please, Granny said, with a little more noticeable emotion as her voice quivered. She'd had a dramatic day after all. Are you relations? she asked, but not forcefully. Wife and family, Granny proclaimed proudly. Certainly. Follow me. Chapter 10 A Close Shave The nurse led them down through the quiet and calm ward. Some of the cubicles had their curtains open and he could see various people sitting in bed. Some with family around asking questions. Another man with a heavily bandaged hand reading a book, holding it with his good one. They got to a cubicle, with all the curtains drawn around it. This must be Grampy's, William thought. He hates hospitals, always has. The kind nurse opened the curtain just enough to slip through and talk to her patient. You have visitors, Mr Fairchild. Call me Andrew, please, I insist, Grampy said in his wonderfully calm tone. The nurse opened the front curtain in one swoop, and there he was, sat up in bed, mug of tea in hand, and a whopping great bandage on the right side of his head, a little blood weeping through. Oh, Andrew, Granny said, as she hurried to his bedside, trying to work out how to give him a kiss without hurting him any more. Hello, my love, he said, descending softly. 
Carol and William stood at the front of the bed in silence for a while while they had their moment. After a minute, Grampy looked up and said, So how did you get here so fast? Granny answered, Lindsay bought us, dear, in the noisy little car. The journey was a bit bumpy. Lumpy, more like, said William, under his breath. His mum smacked him on the thigh. So where is he, then? Grampy asked. He's still trying to pay for parking, I think, said Carol. I'd better call him and tell him what ward you're in. She stepped out of the cubicle and walked towards the lobby so she could make a phone call without disturbing the other patients. Grampy set his empty mug down on the bedside table. What happened then? asked William, worriedly, pointing to his head. Well, Gerald and I just had an awful tenth hole. Disastrous, you might say. I lost two balls and bent my wedge trying to get out of the sand bunker. Gerald poked himself in the eye whilst trying to eye up his putt and then tripped over his bag, causing him to badly twist his ankle. I decided the best course of action would be to head back to the clubhouse, borrow a buggy to come back and collect Gerald. It was quite far from the clubhouse, being the tenth hole, so I decided to take a few shortcuts through the wooded areas to speed things up. It was going well, and I was making good progress until I emerged from some trees onto a fairway, and then bang! Next thing you know, I woke up here. Oh, William remarked, in sympathy. Um, is... Actually, is Gerald okay? Grampy asked. Meanwhile, sitting on the log at the tenth hole, Gerald was wasting his time and his phone battery to listen to the talking clock. A time spotted by actors on the strike of three will be 3.47. Oh yeah, he's absolutely fine, said William. While Grampy looked around for the water jug. Granny turned to William and mouthed the words, I'll call Sally at the club now. Grampy had found the water jug, but it was almost empty, so Granny seized her chance to make that phone call before Gerald tried hopping. I'll go and fill this up for you, dear, said Granny with a smile. Thank you, my love, said Grampy, as she disappeared off up the ward to find a sink. The moment she was out of earshot, he beckoned William closer, and got him to sit down at the chair next to the good side of his head. I must ask a favour of you, William, one of the utmost importance. I need you to go to my study. The padlock code is 8945, William finished. How did you know? he asked, looking at William with surprise. Actually, never mind, we don't have much time. In the central drawer of my desk is a birthday card. Yeah, you said before, Granny's, William said, knowing full well it was actually meant for his Aunt Cherry. Well, I may have a small confession to make, he mumbled. The card is for your Aunt Cherry. It's signed, sealed and ready to be posted, and I was going to do it today. But then this happened, he points to his head. It's imperative that it finds its way to the postbox, ready for collection, first thing tomorrow. He placed his hand on William's shoulder and leaned even closer. Can I rely on you? Yes, of course, Granby. I'll post it as soon as we get back later. There's a good lad. His eyes hadn't lost their twinkle, even though it was obvious he was slightly sedated. In the meantime, Carol had seen Granny wandering off 
with a water jug and decided to make sure she didn't get into any trouble. She followed her down the long corridor with doors either side. She watched as Granny turned the corner, heading towards the utility area. Just then, a double automatic door opened on the left and a massive laundry trolley was pushed out by an orderly. They immediately turned left and headed in the same direction she was walking. But as they did so, a white doctor's coat fell from the trolley onto the floor at her feet. She picked it up with two fingers to inspect it, just in case it had blood or something worse down her sleeve. But it must have just come out of the laundry as it was clean and dry. She looked around for somewhere to leave it. Just as she neared the end of the corridor, next to the door marked Female Changing 401F60, was a full-length mirror. Really, Carol, are you going to do this, she said to herself. Yes, Carol, yes you are. With that, she swung the coat around her shoulders like a cape, pulled her arms inside and out through the sleeves, with jazz hands outstretched. She spent the next few minutes pretending to walk past the mirror, stopping to talk to herself. Oh, Dr. Carol, thank you so much for saving my life the other day. All in a day's work, little lady, in the best John Wayne impression she could manage. She took out her phone and pretended to have a call. Yes, Gray, it's Dr. Carol. 30 millilitres of adrenaline and get them into an OR stat, she spoke out loud. Just to her left, she heard someone say, Dr. Carol, is it? She froze with fear but tried not to let it register. She turned on her heels to face the nurse. She was in her fifties with her hair tied back, cold brown eyes and an upside down watch on her left breast. Blood was running down from her hands and dripping off her elbows onto the mottled green floor. I have a patient in the Botley ward that really needs some help. Please come quickly. Okay, Carol said. Show me the way. What have you done, Carol, you stupid cow? While Carol was otherwise occupied, Granny had found a little kitchen in the utility area. She washed out the jug and began filling it with water. As it neared the top, she pushed the lever to close the tap, but it sheared off. Water was now coming down out of the top of the tap in an arc already creating a puddle on the floor by the dishwasher. Um, 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 she said, while picking up the jug and walking back towards the botley ward in a hurry, splashing water onto the floor from the jug she was carrying. She made it back to the lobby just as Lindsay, her son, was stepping out of the elevator. Hello, darling. Managed to pay the parking thingy, did you? Well, sort of, Lindsay said. The man on the phone wanted to know what number space I was in, which was tricky as I was in three. It took me half an hour to straighten the car up. Very tight spaces here. Granny didn't really understand a word and just said, That's good, dear. Well done. Before splashing some more water from Grampy's jug on the floor between them. How's Dad? he asked. Oh, he's fine, Lindsay. He's this way. As they walked into the botley ward, there was a cubicle immediately on the left that had its curtains drawn. He could have sworn he heard Carol, his wife, say, Ooh, that looks painful, but dismissed it when he caught sight of his dad at the far end. Lindsay, my boy, you made it, Grampy teased. So did you, just about, by the looks of it, he retorted. As Grampy started to retell the story to all those who missed the previous performance, Carol had managed to sneak out of the blooded cubicle. She slipped the robe off quickly and popped it into the laundry basket by the nurse's station, to rejoin her family, just as Grampy said, 
Bang! Next thing you know, I woke up here. Everyone oohed, ummed, and aahed, so Carol joined in. After a while, Grampy seemed a bit tired, so they said their goodbyes in turn, and all walked down to the lobby to wait for the elevator. As they passed the nurse's station, the angry nurse was on the phone. Yes, can you ask Dr. Carol to report back to the Botley Ward immediately? What do you mean, who? Carol was the first in the elevator, funnily enough, and let out a sigh as the doors closed. On the ground floor, they stepped out into the reception. It looked like the green room of a Lord of the Rings film set. Knights in full armour, trying to sit in the funny little chairs, while one of them had a single arrow sticking out of his arm at 90 degrees. To top it all off, there was now a leak raining down from the ceiling tiles above straight onto the head of the angry robotic receptionist, who had to resort to using a ring-binding folder as a makeshift umbrella hat. Get back behind the yellow line! Chapter 11 The Promises We Make Back in Amblefield, they pulled into the drive once more at about 6pm. It had been a much calmer drive back, and nobody really spoke at all. The smell from the incident earlier was still present, and the car was a mess. But even that didn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. Grampy was safe. That alone was enough for them. They got out of the car and walked back to the house. Granny got started on the dinner. William's mum and dad went to use the showers, and William decided to fulfil the promise he had made to Grampy. He ran up both flights to the study, unlocked the door, and walked over to the desk to the open drawer. Cherry Fairchild, Apartment 4, Chilton Mansions, 106 Old Montague Street, Whitechapel, London, E15NU. William lifted his T-shirt and wedged the card in the top of his jeans before covering it again, and headed down the stairs into the entrance hall to grab his coat. He remembered that there was a post box next to the shop at the bottom of the hill. So he left the house and headed down the hill in that direction, removing the uncomfortable card from his jeans as he walked, kneading out some of the creases his belt had made, but had failed to notice the single thread of black cotton now snagged on the corner of the envelope. As he got closer to the shop, he could see people leaving the pub from the other side of the duck pond. Must be tea time, he thought, as he reached the post box. Next collection, 0500 hours, was written on the little silver tag. Perfect, he thought, while pushing the envelope through the slot. Just then, the girl William had seen earlier, with a weird clothes, said, Hello again, shyly, as she walked past. Oh, um, hi, he said, rushing to keep up. She was heading back up towards her house, opposite his grandparents, so he decided to walk with her. I'm William. What's your name? Jess, she said. How long are you here for this time? Was she one of Granny's spies, he thought, but dismissed it. Oh, just a week. Heading back to uni the following week, you see. It must have been something in his voice that gave something away. Not what you thought it would be, then, she asked. The hill started to steepen, making it harder to speak. Um, well it is, but I've had enough of studying now. I feel ready for the real world, he said, with a little too much enthusiasm. Grass is always greener, I guess, she said, with a cute smile. Really is, though, is it? 
really is. So what do you do, Jess? I work at Oddbot's dairy, she said plainly. If he had taken a swig of a drink, he would have spat it out. What, were the sucky things? He became quite animated, like Grampy would, pretending to stick imaginary suckers on, even more imaginary cow teats. Oh, the poo! How is your sense of smell? He said, holding his nose. She laughed, and looked even more attractive as she did so. You are funny, she said, as she chuckled. No, no, I'll just take care of the admin for them. Mr. Oddbod isn't so great with the paperwork, so I get left alone to deal with it. That's good then, he said, feeling slightly out of breath as they reached the top of the hill by their respective houses. Right then, William, see you around maybe, she said, as she walked up her driveway. Yeah, maybe, said William, trying not to sound too keen. Well, he thought, she is lovely. He headed back up to the house, just in time for dinner. Granny had already prepared a Sunday roast before she left to head to the hospital. Even though some of the Yorkshires were past their best, the rest was to die for. That night, in bed, he thought of Jess and her smile. He couldn't tell if it was the roast dinner or the thought of her that made his chest feel warm and fuzzy. After that, all he could think about was Grampy, the stories he had told him, the big bandage on his head and the promise he had made to him. At least I managed that one, he thought, and drifted off to sleep as the wind made the trees play shadow puppets with the moonlight. Back at the post box, a single black cotton thread had snagged on a paint chip near the slot, and the letter was now suspended eight inches down inside the post box, spinning like a weather vane in a tornado as the wind blew past the slot. It hadn't reached the bag at all. <laughs>